the scripture is coming from the fourth chapter, the 13th through the 22nd. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they wondered. And they realized that they, may, that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man that had been healed standing right beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What are we going to do with these guys? For what a notable sign has been performed through them that is manifest to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in his name. So they called him and charged him not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people were all around who had praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of God for the people of God. He was more than 40 years old. He was super old, right? <laughs> we get. I know. So um, I love this scripture um, because we see this uh, boldness of the disciples. Um, we're excited to be starting this new series, and I have to confess it's my fault. Um, at church camp last summer, one of the uh, preachers referred to the disciples as that motley crew that followed Jesus around. And so then my creative mind started going, wow, that would be a great sermon series, and we could talk about the disciples. And, uh, and, so, uh, and I can't take any credit for the creativity there. Uh, Sharla and uh, Hannah came up with the idea to play on the band name Motley Crue, but um, uh, so today we're going to talk about Simon Peter, and next week we're going to talk about Matthew, and then we're going to do Judas, and then the last one's going to be about Philip, and uh, we hope you enjoy the four we're highlighting. I said maybe if people like it, next year we'll do four more. Uh, who knows? Maybe you won't like it and we won't do it ever again. But <laughs> we hope in the next few weeks to reveal things about the disciples that maybe you hadn't considered, and we hope that you will connect to them in a way where you can see yourself in them. So today's scripture portrays this confident and bold Peter who defies opposition and he performs miracles. And in the book of Acts, he has clearly become the leader of the way. Yeah, this scene, as uh, Larry pointed out for you, comes after a healing and actually an interrogation. Peter and John are interrogated and arrested and um, and. And so this, their willingness to be bold in the face of real consequences, it's, it's not like they're being bold and there are no consequences, right? They're being bold and there are serious consequences. And, and so uh, they decide that they can't do anything about it. 
but, but we know Peter wasn't always that way. When Peter was confronted right after Jesus's arrest, he is the opposite. He's evasive and non-responsive, and, and he denies knowing Jesus three times. Um, so we are, we are so blessed that there's so much material about Simon Peter uh, that the very first, he's called the very first disciple in the uh, three of the Gospels, the Synoptic, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's called first, the very first one with his brother Andrew. Now, for some reason, John flips the order and has Andrew first and Peter second, and I think it's just to keep Peter humble. Uh, but, uh, and so in Scripture, we, uh, we hear about this very first calling of this, of this first disciple. We uh, recognize it's significant to be first. Um, we discover he's a Galilean, that he's a fisherman by trade. He's married. He has a home in Capernaum. In the Jewish tradition, the Talmud says of the Galileans, they describe them this way. They were more anxious for honor than for gain, quick-tempered, impulsive, emotional, easily aroused by an appeal to adventure and loyal to the end. And so that describes Peter very well, doesn't it? We even know from the scriptures that his mother-in-law lived with him, if you want to think about that for a moment. <laughs> the scriptures contain verses where Peter is inquisitive, where he actually questions Jesus. Oh, thank you. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, He's uh, privy to information that the other disciples do not have. He has revelations. He's the one who proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah. When, when uh, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? The other disciples are like, oh, some say this and some say this. But it's Peter who proclaims you are the Messiah. Um, He's the one that uh, when Jesus is walking on water is bold enough to actually step out of the boat and try to follow Jesus walking on water. I just can't imagine the bravery that that would take to do. But then at the same time, we get these scriptures where Jesus is frustrated with Peter. Uh, the most famous, of course, is the one where he says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, he's talking to Peter when he says that. He's the, the only scriptural account of Jesus calling one of the disciples a name, right? Get behind me, Satan. It's terrible. Uh, he uh, gets frustrated because when they come to arrest him, Peter uh, reacts with a sword and he cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers and Jesus rebukes him and he heals the ear and he says, that's not who we are, right? And then, of course, that famous story where Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. Even though he was the first called, he was privy to information, he had revelations that the others did not, he was part of that inside circle of disciples. And so you might be wondering, how is it with all of these clear messages that Jesus would call Peter the foundational rock of the movement. I mean, yes, the word Peter literally translates to rock, but he didn't have to turn over, quote from the Bible, the keys of the kingdom to Peter. And it seems silly that someone who's so flawed that he was so frustrated with would be someone that he would trust with everything. 
So as I was preparing this sermon this week and writing, it made me think about my own call. When I was called into ministry, I was only 17 years old. And I was at church camp and I was on my knees during a worship service and there were people all around me and I heard this very clear voice. Well, I opened my eyes and looked around to figure out who was talking to me. And then I went, oh no, that was God, <laughs> right? And I spent a long time not wanting to answer my call. And then I did all this ministry and I worked in churches full time and I thought if I do children and youth and God will leave me alone. <laughs> well, it doesn't work that way. When God sets you on a certain path, no matter how much you don't want to be on that path, God redirects you. I am amazed by Charlotte because she got her call and she followed it right away and she went from undergraduate right into seminary and she had such faith in her call. And I'm more like Peter. <laughs> I'm messy and I wasn't sure this was the path I was supposed to be on. I was questioning and denying and failing and these are all adjectives that would describe us both. I understand deeply his fears. What does it mean to stand that close to Jesus? To be called to do something you do not feel equipped for or think that you do not have the gifts for. And so I wanted, to, I wanted us to think about what are the things we learn from Peter? Um, oh, we uh, get, this is the reference in the text where Peter is willing to question and um, Jesus actually offers him the keys to the kingdom. Um, but I want to go to, here we go. What are we taught by Peter? These are the significant things that we hear. The first one is he is not defined by his mistakes, but by his call. And I think that's a beautiful message for all of us, that we are not simply the worst thing we have ever done, that we are not the summation of our mistakes, but that God sees more in us. God uh, gives us gifts and talents and expects us. Uh, as Methodists, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that we are all called into ministry in one way or another. No, you're not all called to be clergy and to preach every week, but think about the people in this church who have been called. Todd felt this call into um, the beds ministry, uh, people who are called to sing in the choir, people who are called uh, to serve at teaching the children or to be present as a special angel. I mean, we are all called in many ways. Uh, my husband volunteered me to go every time a tornado siren went off to be with my widow next door neighbor in her bathroom so she wouldn't be alone, right? I never would have thought of that, but my husband heard her expressing her fears and he knew that while he was at work that I was home alone and she was home alone and we were both in the bathrooms. And so he, you know, he sent me to be fully present with her and it and it was fun and I got to know her in a way I never would have and her family was deeply relieved to know that their mother in their 80s wasn't 
uh, terrified in her home alone. And so we are all called to be present for others, to share our gifts and our abilities. And it didn't take someone special to go sit in the bathroom with a neighbor. It just took someone, right? Someone who was willing to do it. And so uh, the other thing that we learn uh, from Peter is that Jesus chooses to see our potential. As frustrated as he gets with Peter, constantly it seems, he sees past that. And it made me wonder, as someone who did youth ministry for so long, sometimes when we see so much potential in another person, we get more frustrated, right? Have you ever felt that when you've known someone that you see all these gifts and talents in and then and you don't see them living into their full potential? And it is frustrating because you hope for so much more for them. If you remember, we define grace as um, the unmerited gift of love and forgiveness freely offered to us by God. Jesus reprimands Peter over and over and over, but then he also pushes and pushes and nudges him to become who he is called to be. The keys to the kingdom he gives to Peter, I think it's fascinating because uh, Jesus proclaims Peter is the rock in which the movement would be built. And you got to think, were the other disciples going, really? That guy? Right? (laughs) The one who seems to constantly be in trouble? Um, Or maybe Jesus had made that very, that decision that Peter would take over when he very first called him. When he chose him first, he knew all along. I mean, we don't know, but I could see it there. And this frustration that he, he wasn't living up to his potential. Jesus proclaims that this man who had challenged and contemplated and questioned everything is the one who will represent him who will take over the movement and the way and the message. And, and this comes from this understanding that Peter understands what it's like to be forgiven, that this grace that is often offered to Peter, he is expected to then offer to others to lead the way that grace is what we teach those who have known Jesus closely Surely, this man who needed so much forgiveness would understand this in a way others do not. And so I want us to hear that when Jesus calls us to lead, he does not seek perfection. Have you heard that phrase, that Jesus perfects the called, not calls the perfect? I'm a perfect example of that. (laughs) Jesus perfects the called, not calls the perfect. This Peter that we see in Acts from our scripture today, let's see what else Sharla has up here. Grace changes everything. Uh, the, the Peter that we see in our text today is um, one who lives in to what God has called him to be. It's like he, uh, he gives up trying to have control and he moves into allowing himself to be shaped by Jesus. He embraces his worthiness and his redemption. In the scripture today, the Pharisees ask this question, what will we do with men who are unafraid? Right? 
That's not the Peter that we know. This Peter in Acts is completely different. He has been redeemed. He has embraced his messiness as being good enough. He allows God to use him. Uh, the text points out that these Peter and John are just quote-unquote ordinary men. They have no theological credentials. They have no training in public speaking. Uh, it says at, at one point that as ordinary men, as a fisherman, right? How could he be the one? But then it says they spoke the truth without regard for prevailing social, political, and religious opinion. Now, I want you to hear it again. It's so good, right? They spoke the truth without regard to social, political, or religious opinion. They were bold. They were unafraid. They stood so close to Jesus, they could clearly see what they were about. How can they stop people who are clear on their purpose and willing to follow God's lead? They proclaim that they cannot be silent about they, what they have seen. What an incredible witness. It, help, it makes me think, what in the world would happen if all the people who claimed to be Jesus' followers were bold with their witness, who could not be kept quiet? If they shared, what does it mean to know Jesus? How has it changed their lives? If our fear and our uncertainty and our unworthiness could be laid aside and we could live into what God has called us to be as amateurs, as ordinary people with no theological training, if we would share our stories, put those words out there. That is who Peter is. I would even go so far as to say, is that is who I am and who you are. Today, you are invited to let Jesus shape you into who you are called to be. Amen.